Thank you for joining us for another lesson from God's Word. The West Huntsville Church of Christ at Providence is located at 1519 Old Monrovia Road, Northwest, Huntsville, Alabama, 35806. Anytime you're in the Huntsville area, we hope you'll stop in and be part of our worship. Sunday morning worship is at 9 o'clock, with Bible class immediately following. Sunday evening worship is at 5. Midweek Bible study is held Wednesdays at 7. All right, good morning, everybody. Uh, that bell means that it is time to begin, and uh, I'm looking forward to uh, our discussion this morning as we start uh, this, uh, this new topic of what is a biblical worldview and how to develop a biblical worldview, and hopefully just developing a, a biblical worldview. I appreciate you being here. Uh, I appreciate you being willing to, uh, to be in this class, and uh, a couple of things up front that we need to establish uh, as, we, as we move forward. First and foremost, uh, I want to stress that this is a class. I am very adamant um, in my opinion, my conviction, whatever you want to call it, that this is not the second sermon of the morning. Um, I'm not here to preach a sermon. I'm here to lead a discussion, hopefully. Um, and I know that those of you that may be watching and listening on the live stream, I'm going to do my very best to stay put. It's going to be difficult for me. I was talking to the guys in the booth, and I don't want to make it harder on them, but I do have a tendency to wander around, uh, and I'm going to try. I'm going to try not to. I've got James Andrews right here to keep me in line. Um, he's going to... Um, Keep me on a leash if uh, if necessary. Um, but again, this you know. So one of the difficulties I, I I understand that you know, especially in a large auditorium class like this, that it can be a little harder to uh, get over the fear of speaking up, right? But I'm going to encourage you to comment. I'm going to encourage you to uh, ask questions and things like that because most of you know that I've been teaching for a long, long time. Uh, well band directing. I don't know if you can call that teaching, but been doing it regardless for a long, long time. And uh, I do know that the students always get way more out of the class of what they say than what the teacher says, right? So the more we can, the more we can discuss and the more we can, can get into this, uh, the better off we're all going to be. Uh, I am a little nervous about, you know, being in here, uh, having a, a microphone and, and all of that stuff. Uh, I'm also nervous that, I, you know, over the years as I've been putting, you know, things together that um, you're probably, if you have ever taught a class or preached a sermon uh, in the West Huntsville family at any time, you're probably going to hear something that I have stolen directly from you. So let me go ahead and let you know that uh, that up front. But again, um, I've had the privilege uh, to to teach this 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 topic uh, in the past, most recently, just finished up this this um, this same topic um, with our with our youth, and uh, and I told I told our youth that you know it it, it will be taught no different. Um, I don't you know I, I don't pull punches with our with our young people. Uh, I don't really teach any differently with our young people than I plan to with our adults or anything like that because um, it's it, it is something that. I think we all need to consider at all times, um, what is our worldview? Um, how, how are we approaching everything? So let's, so let's get into it. When you hear the word worldview, right? and by the way, I ask a lot of questions. 
Um, and, and I'm going to do my very best to uh, reiterate either something that you ask me. I'm going to try to reword it, number one, to make sure I understand it. Number two, to make sure those that are on the live stream um, get the context of the question and things like that. Um, but also, uh, again, just to foster, just to foster discussion. So what is, what is a world view? And you're going to have to talk loud because it's a big room and I'm deaf. So almost. Okay. What's a worldview? When you think of the word worldview, what comes to mind? Yes. Okay. Okay. Good. What else? What's a worldview? Okay. Good. What else? What is a worldview? Okay, so it's kind of everything. It's um, some people have a you know, what was mentioned a, a selfish worldview. Some people have a worldview that doesn't consider anything beyond the here and now. Okay, Mick. Right. Yeah. Right. So, um, quite simply, it is how you view the world. Um, and I like the uh, I like the word that Mick used. It's how we it's what we use to filter everything. And that that is that is my my go to idea when we talk about what a worldview is. Talk about what a worldview is. It is that filter through which we consider everything that comes at us from the world. But it should also be the filter by which we filter everything that comes out of us to the world. Right? It's gotta go, it's gotta go both ways. Right? It's, you know, we can say that it's the lens through which we perceive everything that comes out, you know, comes at us, but it also should be, like I said, what, what directs everything that comes from us to the world. Right? Um, so when you think about what a, what a biblical worldview is, okay, we, we have some, we have some rules, um, that in the, you know, when we talk about this, that it can be kind of summed up with, you know, if we call it a, a class rule, right? If we want to call it a mantra, whatever you want to call it. But the idea is that every spiritual question has to be met with a scriptural answer, right? Let me say that again. Every spiritual question has to be met with a scriptural answer, right? Because think about the alternative, what is the alternative to that? I'm sorry? Our feelings. 100%. Exactly right. Okay? If we are not, if we are not using Scripture to guide us in our response to things, then the only thing left is our own personal judgment. Okay? And a little bit later on, uh, in our in our series of lessons, we're going to talk about you know we're going to talk about you know the, the the role that our feelings have, especially in what's now called a post truth society and and things like that. But let me give you let me give you an illustration. Um, when when we talk about a, a biblical worldview, I know Glenn has used the analogy of the uh, of the wagon wheel, right? Um, and I really I really like that I really like that analogy. The idea of the wagon wheel. You know, some people, some people consider, you know, well, my, my faith is, is one of the spokes, 
one of the spokes in the wheel and, and things like that. But, but ideally, our faith is the hub, right? It's, it's everything, right? It is the hub in the middle of the wheel. Um, when I, when I talk, you know, you guys are all my students. Lucky you. Uh, for the time that we are in this class, but um, I have to confess that I am a super, super school nerd, right? Um, to this day, to this day, I get excited about school supplies, right? I can still smell the fresh box of crayons, right? And as a kid, I always wanted the big box of 64 Crayola crayons with the, with the, it had the, it had the crayon sharpener on the back of it. Man, alive, that was so cool, right? But that was, honestly, those were, those were too expensive for us when I was a kid. So, but the fresh box of crayons, the brand new notebook, man, I got excited because like, you had a brand new notebook, like you could do anything, right? It was just a blank slate, you know, the sky was the limit, blah, 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 blah. But the, the grand poobah of notebooks for me, was the big five-subject divided notebook. I thought, five-subject, man, good. I could have one notebook for everything, right? So I want you to picture that five-subject notebook, and hopefully, hopefully you, can, I, you, you guys can all, can all picture that. The, one that. the one that I remember had the plastic cover, because it was super nice, right? Had the plastic cover, the, and it was a Mead brand. I still remember the brand and everything. The, the, the dividers... In the, throughout the notebook had pockets, so you could like keep papers and stuff. It was uh, like really, really cool. Not that we would keep any important papers in those, because that was for other important stuff to us, not to the teacher. Um, but you have this, you have this notebook, right? And I want you to think about that notebook being your everything, right? That this notebook is here. Here's Keith Anderson. Here's this, here's this notebook, right? And, the idea is, you know, a lot of people might consider, well, if any part of this notebook is going to be my faith, if any part of this notebook is going to tell you about my worldview, it's going to be on the cover, right? That cover is right there so that anybody that sees it, in other words, anybody that immediately sees me, right, they're going to see that cover and they're going to see my worldview, right? My biblical worldview, my faith, you know, all, all of those things. Um. Some people might say, well, that's all fine and good, but I'm, I've dedicated an entire section. I've dedicated an entire section, and it's the first section, don't get me wrong. It's the first section, so that when you open up that notebook, you're going to flip pages and you're going you're gonna to read everything about Keith Anderson's faith and all that stuff. The flaw in that, with both of those examples, is that there are parts of that notebook that are completely untouched by what I am calling my biblical worldview. That if we're really going to get that notebook right, right, the wire, the spiral binding, that's our faith, right? That spiral binding should be our biblical worldview because in that notebook that represents everything about who we are, there is nothing that is untouched by that spiral. There is nothing that is not held together by that spiral. I can take that notebook and I can rip the cover right off and still have a completely functioning notebook. I can even take one of the entire subjects, one of the entire dividers out of it. But if I take that spiral off, then everything is going to fall apart, right? That's what we're talking about when we talk about a biblical worldview, right? When we, when we read in John 1 and verse 1, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. I want you to park your mind in that verse for just a moment, okay? 
When we call ourselves Christians, when we profess to be a follower of Christ, we have to understand that what we are professing is that we are also a follower of the Word because Christ is the Word. So the only way that we can be consistent in that is to follow His Word to the very best of our ability because to say we are a Christian means that we are also as much a follower of His Word because Christ is the Word. We cannot separate those two things. We cannot separate being a Christian and or from following his word, right? So we have to take everything. You know, the world, especially, you know, the, the religious world likes to exist on the cafeteria plan, right? Where they're, they're at the, you know, the, the spiritual golden corral and they've got their tray and I'm going to take a little bit of this and I'm going to take a little bit of this, but uh, that doesn't really agree with me. So I'm going to, I'm going to leave that there and I'm going to let, I'm going to let somebody else, you know, in, enjoy that. We, that's not how a biblical worldview works. We are not going to rise above our worldview, right? Whether we recognize it or not, our worldview governs and dictates everything that we do. A good example, I think of, a, and, and you can probably think of a better one, but a good example of a, of a worldview might be someone that is hired on to a political campaign, Okay. Um, and let's say that I've been hired on to a political campaign and I am the main public relations person for this particular candidate, right? Well, it is my job now as this person's main PR campaign, it is my job, number one, to make sure this candidate looks as good as possible in the public eye, right? And to get this candidate elected, right? So everything that happens... Everything that happens in the world, whether it's geopolitical, whether it's economic, whether it has to do whatever it is, I'm going to filter through how should my candidate respond to this. Is this going to be good for my candidate? Is this going to be good? Everything gets filtered through, i got to get this person elected, right? So now we see that's, that's what we're like. When, when, when you're approached and your immediate response is, well, what about this? That's, that's how you know what your worldview is. Our response to everything should be, well, what does the Bible say? Right? What does the Bible say about this? And then we set aside our feelings, right, to submit to the authority of the Word. Right? When we read in Acts chapter 17 and verse 11, right, we, we read about those that are in Berea, right? And how were those in Berea described? Anybody remember? Depending on, I mean, maybe a couple of different answers depending on the translation that you use. But how were those that were in Berea described? Say again? They searched the scriptures daily, but because they did that, they were described as what? More noble, right? More noble, right? So, really, in a sense, we could call this biblical worldview like a Berean worldview, right? How we want to be the people that are constantly searching the scriptures. And how often did they do that? Daily, okay? As they were being taught, right? As they were being taught, they were searching the scriptures daily to be sure that what they were like, they were filtering everything through what they knew the scriptures said. That's it. If you, if, I mean, we could all, you know, as far as our first lesson, what is a worldview, but we're going to continue more, but that's really what we're talking about. We're going to search the scriptures, and we're going, to do, we're going to do what the Bible says because we're Christians. 
Okay? And Christians are people of Christ, which means they should be people of the Word, because Christ is the Word. Right? So, very quickly, and I know we're all familiar with this, um, and if we're, you know, if we need any, uh, any refreshers on this, I'm sure we can bring our young people in to go over the apologetic card with you, um, because they are well versed, pun intended, in, um, why the Bible is worthy to base our, Bibli- our worldview on, right? Um, but, we have to start, we have to start with 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17. Okay? 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17 says, All scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. Now there's three big words, big, big words in those two verses. The first word is all. Right? All. If there, if for some reason, if for some reason we were told that, hey, the auditorium's getting new carpet, and at the end of services this evening, at the end of services this evening, all the chairs have to be removed. I mean, I'll be at camp, so good luck with that, but, okay? But if, if we said all the chairs have to be removed out of this room, how many chairs are going to be left when we're done? None. Right? So all, all means all. And I know, I, I know, I, I know I'm kind of belaboring an elementary point, but it's not elementary. All scripture, all is a big, big word. So there's our first big word. All scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be, here's the next one, the man of God may be complete. Complete. Okay? Older translations might say perfect. Okay, but I think the better rendering is complete. How many of you have ever put a puzzle together? Right? Any puzzle. Eight pieces, three thousand pieces, doesn't matter. We've all, we, we all know, like, you can't call that puzzle complete until what? All the pieces are there. Right? So, it is complete. So, all scripture, make the man of God complete. And then last one, thoroughly equipped for how many good works? Every. Every. And again, if we said we're going to take every chair out of here, there are no chairs left. There are no good works left that Scripture does not guide us toward. That Scripture does not instruct us in. All Scripture, man of God complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. Right. And I know these passages are familiar to us, but I want you to get the weight of this is either true or it's not. There is no in-between. This is absolute language. All. Complete. Every. It's not most scripture, most good works, and just kind of fulfilled as a man of God. Right? This scripture is either true or it's not. And once we accept that this scripture is true, what does that mean for everything else? Well, there's our worldview right there. Okay, there is the basis, the foundation, the one of the building blocks of what we call this biblical worldview. That's why we're going to filter everything through, right? So it's validity, right? We've talked about this. Just a quick review. 1,600 years, 40 different authors, three different languages, three different continents, right? Men from all works of life, shepherds, fishermen, tax collector, doctor, general, kings, a prime minister, a cub bearer, 
right? Only a small number of which would have been considered highly educated, okay? Um, It's reliability, okay? Uh, Can we count on the Bible that we now have to be the same as the actual words that the original authors were inspired to write? It is an incredibly popular sentiment that, well, you know, the Bible's been translated so many times, we, you know, we really, really don't know, okay? Yes, we can. Yes, we can, okay? It has been studied. It has been studied, it has been studied, it has been researched, it has been scrutinized, okay? And time and time again, it proves to be what it claims to be, okay? I know we're familiar with the Dead Sea Scrolls in 1947. They gave us our oldest copies of the Old Testament texts that were identical to what we have uh, in our English copy of the Old Testament. So, and interesting, when Jesus read from the scroll of Isaiah, right? Picture that in your mind. When Jesus read from the scroll of Isaiah, he was reading a copy of the scroll of Isaiah, but yet still, um, still recognized that it was Scripture and considered it Scripture. We have over 5,700 copies of the New Testament. There is no historical document that has that kind of library to its authentication, right? Homer's Iliad has 643, and nobody ever questions the validity um, uh, of what it of what it claims to be. So again, studied over many many years, ver- verified that the New Testament we have is authentic and reliable. And and again, I know there are um, you know it, it's not an apologetics class necessarily. Okay, but we have to be able to defend why this book is the basis of our worldview. It is because we believe wholeheartedly that it is divinely inspired because it proves itself to be, right? So, now let's get into some examples um, of biblical examples of non-biblical worldviews, right? I know that sounds kind of weird, but just just go with me. Um, Let's go to Genesis chapter 6. And we spent some time there this morning uh, from, from Glenn's sermon Right? So Genesis chapter 6, beginning in, verse, beginning in verse 5, what we're going to look at is examples from Scripture of non-biblical worldviews. And I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to start off easy, right? not, going to be, not going to be hard to see. This is what we call scaffolding. Right? Um, so I'm going to start off easy. Right? So Genesis 6, 5, And the Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth, that every intent of the hearts of his, of his was only evil continually. Pretty clear. Right? Pretty clear that that is not a biblical worldview. Right? Not, certainly not a worldview that we want to uh, espouse. Right? But we also have to make sure that we understand where that came from. Okay? How, how did that happen? Well, go a, few verses, uh, go a few verses prior to that, verse 2, that the sons of God saw that the daughters of men, or saw the daughters of men, that they were beautiful, and they took wives from themselves of all whom they chose. Okay? When you deviate from God's ideal, okay? when you deviate from God's ideal, when you deviate from God's plan, when you deviate from God's will, wickedness is going to follow. Right? Because we've already established, we've already established either God's will, God's design, God's ideal, God's revelation of his truth to us is going to govern our worldview or it is going to be left up to our own feelings, right? So, again, great example of what happens when we deviate from God's design, okay? Now, go to Romans 1. And I know some of you, as soon as you, as soon as you hear Romans 1, say, oh, I know where he's going. Yep, going, going right there. 
going right there. And again, pretty clear. Um, and beginning in about, in about verse 18 through the, through the end of the chapter, Romans 1 is, uh, is a pretty, let's just be honest, it's pretty dark, right? It gets pretty dark, and it gets pretty dark really, really quickly. Um, so uh, let's look at verse 21 specifically. Because although they knew God, they did not glorify him as God, nor were they thankful, but became futile in their thoughts, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Okay. Elsewhere in that passage, God gave them over to a debased mind. Again, clearly, like Genesis 6, clearly a worldview that is in stark contrast to God's ideal. Clearly a worldview that, con- that, that lives in contradiction and just outright defiance to, say, like I said, 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17 that we, that we looked at earlier. But again, it's important. How, how, how do you get there? Okay? Because I'm, I'm, I mean, we're all, we're all in a Sunday morning Bible class, so I'm hoping we all agree. Well, yeah, biblical worldview, scripture says it. Then, yeah, that's, that, that's important. But just as important is understanding how it happens that we get to a Genesis 6 where every intent was wicked, or we get to a Romans 1 where God gave them up to a debased mind. Look at it again at verse, verse 21 of chapter 1. Because although they knew God, they did not glorify him as God. Nor were they thankful. Okay, those two linchpins right there had to be removed. Okay, glorifying God and being thankful to Him. Now, so let's break those down a little bit. What is the importance of glorifying God in our worldview? Well, I mean that's 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 everything that we were put here to do and and to be. We are called. We are called to glorify in everything that we do. Right, Romans. I'm sorry, not Romans. Colossians 3, um, Colossians 3, you know, whatever you do in word or deed, do all to the glory of God, right? That's, that's everything. Again, do all. And we talked about those big words that are, that are all encompassing. So we have to glorify God and recognize Him for who He is. But it's also interesting that the Holy Spirit, you know, inspired Paul to include that nor were they thankful, right? What does a thankful heart do? to our view of the world? I know that's kind of a big question. I'm going to stop talking for a second because I want you to kind of sit on that. What is a thankful heart? Why is it so important? Why would being thankful be one of these linchpins that had to be removed to get to this dark, contrasting worldview? Thankfulness, I love that. Thankfulness requires humility, right? If someone does something for you, and you are motivated to say thank you, right? Then on some level, you are recognizing that that person did something for you that you either didn't do for yourself or you could not do for yourself. You know, that kind of idea. And to say thank you requires a certain level of humility because you are recognizing that even in the small, even in, on a small level, that you are indebted to that person, right? You're sitting in worship, okay? Young mama has a young kid, right? Drops the pacifier and it bounces to you. You pick it up. That's not a big deal, right? But you say thank you because that person did something for you, right? We are indebted. How indebted are we to the Lord? Well, I mean, you can't even answer that. You can't quantify it. You can't put it into words, right? But the importance of glorifying God, recognizing God for who he is, 
And then two, recognizing who we would be without him. Right? Those two things keep us locked in and keep our feet, hopefully, firmly planted on the scriptures, living neck deep in 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17. Right? So we see that, and then verse 28, a little bit lower, and even they, and even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge. You know, it's interesting that from verse 21, they knew God, and by the time they get to verse 28, they did not retain God in their knowledge. And for a long time, you know, I, I don't, I don't know if we, you know, uh, I can't remember any time in conversation that I heard someone phrase something like that, right? But what do you think it, what do you think it means? What do you think it means to no longer retain God in your knowledge. Sorry? Acknowledge, right? To no longer to no longer acknowledge God. What else? Yeah, yeah. It, it to if I do retain God in my knowledge, then I'm going to in some way eventually have to be accountable to him. And boy howdy, I don't want that. Right? Glenn. Glenn said, to retain it and to no longer retain it means that at one point God was in my knowledge, but I had to, I had to divert myself, I had to redirect all of that. You know, I like to think of at this, at this point, you get to a point where God is a non element in your decision making, right? And it takes us, oh, about five seconds to imagine that in 2023, right? So this idea of not retaining God in your knowledge kind of brings about the, the picture of God being a non-element, is a non-factor. There is no consideration. It is the opposite end of the spectrum from where we want to be, right? But let's go a little farther. And our, our next example may not be as clear, but I want you to, I want you to picture it. I want you to make sure that, that we grab onto it. Um, turn over to 1 Samuel chapter 15. First Samuel 15. And when you get there, uh, hopefully this will be familiar to you as well. Right? Um, think about what comes to mind when you hear the name Agag. Right? Especially... Uh, especially in relation to King Saul, right? So let's, uh, what, I, what I like to do, or what I like to call skip rocks through this real quick, beginning in verse 3 of 1 Samuel 15. Now go and attack Amalek and utterly destroy all that they have. Yeah, it's funny, that word keeps coming up. Oh, hmm. Destroy all that they have and do not spare them, but kill both man and woman, infant and nursing child, ox and sheep, camel and donkey. Right? So there's the instruction. Okay? Kill, kill everything. All. That, that big old three-letter word. Okay? Drop down to verse 9. But Saul and the people spared Agag and the best of the sheep, the oxen, the fatlings, the lambs, and all that was good, and were unwilling to utterly destroy them. But everything despised and worthless that they utterly destroyed. Or, I'm sorry, that they utterly destroyed. Okay? So we've got already a, a, a contrast here. Got a little bit of a conflict between verse 3 and verse 9. Look at verse 13. Then Samuel went to Saul, and Saul said to him, Blessed are you of the Lord. I have performed the commandment of the Lord. Should be good to go, right? Saul is convinced. Saul is convinced that, like, 
I have performed the command. What was the commandment? Destroy all. Okay? Destroy everything. But he saved some and he's convinced, but, but I've, I've, I've done what the Lord told me to do. Verse 18. Now the Lord sent you on a mission and said, Go and utterly destroy the sinners, the Amalekites, and fight against them until, until they are consumed. Why then did you not obey the voice of the Lord? Why did you swoop down on the spoil and do evil in the sight of the Lord? And verse 19, and Saul said to Samuel, But I have obeyed the voice of the Lord. So why is this an example? Why is this, a, why is this an example of a non Biblical worldview. Agag was smarter than God. Okay, go on. Mm. Oh, okay, yeah, 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 yeah. Talk about King Saul, King Saul, yeah, exactly. So the idea that well, surely, surely God didn't mean all. Surely God didn't mean the good, like the good stuff. You know, it's interesting, that thought process. If you go back to Genesis 3, and, I, and I've, I've said this before, um, because I also steal from myself when, <laughs> when I can. Um, think, about, think about the devil's approach to Eve. All right, put your, put your mind in the garden. Put your mind in the garden. And think about the first thing that the devil said to Eve. Has God indeed said, right? And in, in, in our common vernacular, we might put it, did God really say? What is that? By saying that, by using that phrase, has God indeed said, or did God really say? What, 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 what is the devil trying to do? Question God, and specifically God's word, right? The first step the first step in anyone leaving the faith, the first step in anyone, um, you know, getting to the point of the, Ro- the, the Romans 1 worldview or the Genesis 6 world, the first step is always doubting the authority of God's word. Because we have to get through that. And, 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 and parents, grandparents, you have to build the wall in your kids' minds and in their hearts. You have to, right? That if your child, your child is going to have questions. We are going to have questions. There are going to be times where things happen in our life that completely just rock the foundation of our faith. And we've got to have what we call those handles to hold on to when everything else is just going completely crazy around us. We've got to have those handles, okay? Handles like 2 Timothy 3.16. So that when something comes up, it's like, well, did God really say yes? Yes, he absolutely did, right? So back to King Saul. Well, sure, surely God didn't mean to destroy everything. I mean, surely he didn't mean to destroy the good stuff. What other rationale could King Saul have had besides thinking, well, as Brother Andrew said, well, like, I, I, sure, surely God didn't mean everything. So let's get back to it, Okay. Um, Luke 6 and verse, six, four, verse 46, when we hear this verse, it should be ringing in our ears when we read an account like 1 Samuel 15 and Saul's um, irrational and irresponsible decision when it, come, when it came to uh, following the commandment of the Lord. Luke 6 and verse 46 says, But why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do the things that I say? So, Christian, 
Are we doing everything we can? Are we filtering everything through the authority of the Scriptures? Because, for example, Saul was convinced, but I have done the commandment of the Lord. And in a short way, no, no, you did not. Right? Because, again, number one, number one, the devil's, the devil's tactic was to get Eve to doubt. But then what was the second? Is to get him to put her in God's place. Or to get her to put herself in God's place. Okay? I'm going to doubt the word of God. And then I'm just going to decide that my decisions are just as valid as God's are. We see that played out exactly in King Saul's, uh, in King Saul's, you know, actions through, uh, through First Samuel, through First Samuel 15. Anybody have a comment here? I've been talking a lot. I've been talking too much. Hmm. All right. Well, your participation grade is going to go down. Just letting you know. Okay. Uh, one more. One more. Turn over to Acts chapter 18. We're going to Acts chapter 18, and we learn about a man named Apollos. Okay? Acts 18, and uh, we're going to pick up in verse 24. Now a certain Jew named Apollos, born at Alexandria, an eloquent man and mighty in the Scriptures. Okay? I'm not going to ask for a show of hands that if, you know, for those that would love to be described that way, because I know that's all of us. Imagine... Imagine if we could earn, okay, the, um, you know, the descriptors or the reputation of being eloquent and mighty in the scriptures. I think we would all, I think we would all sign up for that, right? Okay. Uh, so, um, that, uh, a certain Jew named Apollos, born in Alexandria, eloquent man, mighty in the scriptures, came to Ephesus. This man had been instructed in the way of the Lord and being fervent in spirit, he spoke and taught accurately the things of the Lord. So, so far, so far, it's interesting. Well, that sounds pretty good, right? I mean, that sounds like, that sounds like someone that, that would fit our mold that we're, trying to, uh, that we're trying to hold on to of a biblical worldview, right? But keep going. Though he knew only the baptism of John, so he began to speak boldly in the synagogue. Okay, so is there a I'm flaw, may, may be too strong of a word, right? Is there a deficiency? Is there something missing? Is there something lacking? Is there, is there a complete scriptural, biblical worldview in existence for Apollos? Right, right. Again, okay, because we're talking about, we're talking about being complete. We're talking about being all, all right? So let's, so let's keep reading. So when Aquila and Priscilla heard him, they took him aside and explained to him the way of God more accurately. Now, wait a second. Wait a second. I, I love the Lord, and I know my Bible, right? I know my Bible, and I read my Bible every day, and I go to church every day, and I love the Lord. Is that enough? Does sincerity trump accuracy? Was Apollo sincere? Yeah. And there is nothing in this that is a criticism necessarily. I, would, I, I mean, I wouldn't call it a criticism of Apollos. But what was, Paul, what was Apollos in need of? Further teaching. A more complete, a more complete teaching of what the Bible says. And it doesn't, and hopefully, hopefully we're understanding that we can, we can think of those 
that we, that, that we know of in our lives that absolutely love the Lord, right? They have a heart that desires to please God. They have a heart that desires to be faithful to God in all things. But they are also at the same time in need of a more complete teaching of everything the New Testament says. Right? Go ahead. Yes, yeah. Glenn said exactly the same thing in the next chapter with the twelve who were baptized again. Okay? So, again, all Scripture, complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. In other words, are we going to be complete if we have not done everything the Scriptures teach us to do? And there are, I mean, example after example after example coming to mind. Brother Andrews. Was that a comment? Okay. Um, so again, example after example after example comes to mind of the idea of, you know, those that, that needed to do things fully, right? You think, about, think about Naaman, right? Would he have been healed of his leprosy if he had dipped five times? Would he have been healed of his leprosy if he had dipped seven times in different waters? Full and complete submission to the authority of the Scriptures. Comment, Dina. Sincerity, let me, let me try, I'm going to try to re, rephrase that so, or, or, or repeat that so everybody can hear it. Sincerity is shown by the way we act. And what was the last part? Right. I, I like that. Paul's sincerity was shown by the way he acted when he, re, or Apollos' um, sincerity was shown by the way he reacted to when he realized he was missing information. Right? Again, think about, you know, think about Saul, New Testament Saul. Sincere. 100%. Very sincere and very wrong. Right? So we can't let, again, going back to our comment earlier, we can't let our feelings be the lone justifier in how right we think we are. Right? Now, I know the first, uh, first bell has rung, so the second bell is going to catch us momentarily. What we're going to finish up with is John 12, and verse 48. If you'll turn over there and read that with me. As you're turning there, consider Paul's words in Acts chapter 20. For I have not shunned to declare to you the whole counsel of God. Right? Again, these words like all and complete and every and whole counsel, that's what we're after. That's what we're striving after. Okay? Because if we don't have that, then our worldview is incomplete. And it is insufficient. Why do I say that it's insufficient? John 12, 48. He who rejects me and does not receive my words, has that which judges him. The word that I have spoken will judge him in the last day. Um, how many of you know what a rubric is? Right? Some of us, a rubric is just a grading sheet. Right? Think of a rubric as when, when a teacher assigns a project or assigns an essay or whatever it is, Okay, a rubric is is a is a grading tool for that project. On the left, you usually have okay, you have these characteristics or these requirements, these criteria that need to be need to be met. And on the right hand side, okay, you have a point value assigned to each of those criteria. Okay, and you know some rubrics even have a grading scale that if you do it to this degree, you get this many points. If you do it to this degree, you get, you get this many points. So on and so forth. Okay. The reason I bring that up is because John 12, 48 teaches that the Word of God is what we are going to be 
quote-unquote graded against. Okay? We are going to be judged, and those aren't my words, those are the Lord's words. We are going to be judged according to the word. Right? Well, man, that seems, seems pretty steep. Well, 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17 is either true or it's not. Right? We have everything we need. We have everything we need in God's word to be found faithful to him, provided that we are seeking after, seeking after that Berean attitude, that we're going to search the scriptures daily, that everything that comes at us, we're going to filter through the word. And just as importantly, everything that comes from us is going to be filtered by the word as well. Because if we're going to be called Christians, then that means we should be called people of the world just the same. We hope you have enjoyed this lesson from God's Word. If you would like to continue your study of New Testament Christianity, please send your name and address to World Bible School, West Huntsville Church of Christ, 1519 Old Monrovia Road, Northwest, Huntsville, Alabama, 35806. Or if you prefer, send your name and address by email to wbs at westhuntsville.org.